It's a very special How to Be 60 this week. I get to say something for a start. And we're joined by Susie Fletcher from The Repair Shop, who's been through a lot of change over the years. The beauty of every decade comes this new person with new strengths, with new skills. And when I turned 60, I found that sort of lioness in me again, just was like, mm, there she is. It's scaring the shit out of me. Well, I have been waiting a long time for this, and the moment has finally arrived. Time for another look at life beyond the big six o with me, Mackenzie, and that clapped out old trout, he Adams. <laughs> Welcome. Oh my God, have you put something terrible in my tea just to try and disable me? So your voice, Kate. Oh, oh my God. What, what's happened to you? A wee bit of laryngitis? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's so... You better rest it. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> oh, I'm so disappointed because I'm so looking forward to speaking to Susie Fletcher from the repair shop. I'm hoping that she can actually repair my voice. To me, I'm wondering what your body's telling you. Because you know what? The last time Stop. we don't, oh. the last time we spoke, you were doing, God knows how many telly programs you were recording. You've got your radio program, you've got your podcast, you're out doing gallivanting in the evenings. I think you should actually listen to what your body's telling you. Bloody cold. Don't be ridiculous. You say that. I'm telling you. Oh, my Lord. You're run down. You know what it is? I went into the garden hmm? to plant some plants so I could have some colour, so I could impress you. Oh, so that you would, nice. you know, sort of keep talking about my desert of a garden. And I knew manual labour wasn't for me. I shouldn't have done it. I should have paid someone to do it like I always do. I have to say, that, was a mistake. that garden's looking a disaster. We've got two plants in the way in. They're skew with. One's going one way, one's going the other. It's like, oh, it's like that is on. eyes, But they are just awful. They're no good. But actually, I brought you something that from my garden. There. Oh, my garden. Today. Do you know what? I'm crushed. I'm totally crushed. Bigger than last week. Oh, by Jesus, that's a stormer. It's actually a courgette, not a cucumber. Oh, my goodness. Great. I'm holding up so Susie can be impressed by it. And she is, look at her. <laughs> that was picked this morning. She's not had a smile that wild and many, <laughs> wide and many a long year. <laughs> yeah, picked God, this morning. I'm going to sit and clutch this and hope that it gives me some goodness. Well, don't start biting it. Yeah, probably start biting it for God's sake. <laughs> Jesus, it's not a porno movie for God's sake. Oh, God. steady on. Yeah, You're gargling with that voice of yours. I am actually. All right, right. So the good thing about this is you are going to have to do some work for a change. Do you mean you're letting me get a word in edgeways Indeed. for a change? So read this email. All right. I've okay. printed out. So right. Okay. Hi, Kay and Karen. I found. Oh, spit me. I found Karen's comment about pendulous breasts very relatable. Would you do a pendulous breast special? That's from Lorna, 53, Sagan and Swain. But you know what? I wish I'd said pert. But that would have been a lie. No. It would. Pendulous hey. was entirely accurate. They're not. Well, they, they are. They are. I'd say they're pert. Yeah. Yeah, well. Actually, you know, I was in my bed before doing this podcast. I'm going straight to my bed after, so I didn't even bother putting a bra on. Mm. So I've got well, mine. You know what? You know you described my two trees outside my yeah one 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 good. Well, my breasts are doing the same. Thing. No, they're not. They're both going down the way. 
<laughs> well, this one's going southwest and this one's going southeast. <laughs> it's a good look. It's a good look. No, I, I am I am loving all this stuff around your pendulous press. I hope you're beginning to regret your boastfulness. Anyway. What's that boasting? I didn't I mean think to so. boast. It's quite boastful. No, it's only because you were so proud of being a 32 double D. And I thought, and you gave me, you very kindly gave me one of your bras. Very kindly. Your old bras. Okay, you hadn't worn it before, but one of your bras. And I wore it and I was very grateful, but it was slightly tight. So I thought I'm going to get measured up and I couldn't help but tell you that I'm actually bigger than you. Which is what we call boastfulness. I, I would, I would, uh, I would say. But no, it's okay. I'm right. absolutely cool with it. It is really good news for a friend's show mm. because I have changed all the posters and they've oh. just got a big close up of your decolletage and the words, how to be 60, come and see the two old tits. <laughs> oh God! Well, can I just say it's better than your crotch, anyway? Indeed, because that is what comes up in the poster. Indeed, indeed. No, actually, that was thought. I do apologise. I put the project away. We'll be the oldest ones at the fringe. We are, without doubt, the oldest ones at the fringe. Now that Nicholas Parsons has moved on, <laughs> we probably are. We? Well, Biggins is there, but he's not there till after us. Oh, we are the oldest ones at the fringe. Indeed. Anyway, anyway. Anyway. Um, come and see the two old tits and I do <laughs> apologise to our guest Susie Fletcher as I say she's a master saddler from the repair shop yeah upmarket show yes very classy very classy like us yes. just written a book her memoir is called The Sun of the Mountains uh, which I really enjoyed um, she lived in Colorado for more than 20 years before she came back to the UK mm. and started doing the um, repair shop mm-hmm. actually if you speak to her nicely she might do you some kind of leather encasement for your assets, <laughs> yeah. Uh, on the subject of pendulous breasts, mm. okay. Are we going to go on about this forever? Yes. Here's a little situation for you, right? <clears throat> See if I can get this out. So, a friend of mine, this is a true story, she phoned me up. She was in the changing room at the gyms, right? Okay, right. And she just had a shower and she came out. She put the towel around her waist, right? I thought it was a bit loose, but there you go. That's up to her. And she went over to her locker, and then she bumped into this woman who said, "Oh, do I know you?" They didn't know each other well, but it was just one of those, oh, are you so-and-so? Is it somebody off the telly? No, no. And they went, oh, yes, 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 yes. And so they engage in conversation. But she's still standing. Your with, friend? Yeah, her towel round her waist, bare torso. And like the conversation's going on and on and on and on. Yes. And she's thinking, Jesus, have I got to just carry on this conversation? Oh. And you're topless. Or can I sort of wriggle my towel up? Or, you know, like, do you do Vladimir Putin? Do you put your hands on your hips and just say, right, here we go? Oh, God. What would you do in that situation? At what point do you lift your towel? I mean, I think you've got to say, oh, excuse me, and sort of pull it up about oh, it. Excuse me. Excuse me. Do you know what? Actually, I was in holiday and my friend Caroline, me. and she's always slapping moisturiser on her body, right? And Caroline's very sweet because when we go on holiday, she'll say, I hate I need to do your nails or I need to straighten your hair. So we were in... Does she think you're Spain. old age Barbie? Well, she certainly treats me with a certain respect, okay? Learn oh, from she... that, yeah. And this time she said, I'm going to straighten your hair. So I was like, oh, that's fine then. So I sat down and straighteners went on. And I mean, I wasn't looking in front of a mirror or anything. So she goes round straightening my hair. And it wasn't until she's kind of like right by my ear. Oh no, it was doing my fringe. Did I realise? Towel round the waist. Nothing on top. She had her breasts in your face. Right in front of my face. And I was like, for God's sake, Caroline, good God, get a grip. And she was like, 
I am strong with that. It's just us together. So isn't that funny? So she's obviously completely at one with just sort of strutting about. I'm I glad that she, you'd be like that. I'm glad she's still around her waist, actually. Are you like that? I think I've become more comfortable in my own skin as I get older. Are yeah. you? Yeah. I mean, when I was young, oh, God, I was so self-conscious. Like at school, I would get changed in the showers. I mean, I was just hyper, hyper conscious. And as I've got older, well, I mean, I don't know. I just, what am I hiding? Anyway, stop all this nudity chat. Exactly, exactly. I went to see my financial advisor this week to work out if I can afford to retire. Right. This is interesting because it's all relative what we can afford to retire. So, I mean, did you have, I bet you're up there in the scale. So what what did they say? That you can or you can't? So this is us going back to the voice and burning yourself out. Well, my pension's pants. Oh. Um, I have to sell my house. Oh, that's, no, no, I'm fine about selling the house. It's too big. When there's two of us, we're not going to need it. It's silly to have a big house. Yeah, that's true. So that was always part of the plan. And then the other thing is it depends how long you live. And you have to think, do I need to leave my children anything? Uh, do you feel you need to leave your children anything? They can have the house, but they're not. I'm, I'm getting through my pension like nothing on earth. Are you? Well, I will be. Because let's face it, in 10 years' time, I'm 63 just now, 10 years' time, I'll probably, hopefully, be still at the same rate as I'm doing at the moment. 20 years' time, if I'm still on this planet, I'm not going to be doing the same amount of travelling. I think the older you get, the less you do. So I might as well get through the money just now. They can have the house, for God's sakes. But you don't feel obliged to leave them anything else? No, absolutely not. Have you discussed it with them? No. Okay. <laughs> That's a short conversation then. No, they don't need anything else. They've got the house. Did you get left anything? Yeah, but my mum and dad never went on holiday, for God's sakes. But they left you money? Yeah, because they never flaming went on holiday. They just saved it all. For you? I, no, there's four sisters. There's four girls. You all got something. We all got something. And the grandchildren. The house. Right. Don't turn this on me. Just because <laughs> you've got a sore throat. <laughs> so what's the script with your pension? Are you going to have to work the next 20 years? Is this, what you, is this podcast going to hell? Is this what you're saying? There's no point doing it anymore. Not making any money here, that's for sure. Well, um, I know that. No, no, I mean, we'll sell the house and that'll be fine. You're going to sell the house. Yes. That was a bit high. <laughs> I can't wait to sell the house. I cannot wait to sell the house. Seriously? I've loved this house. It's been a fantastic family. Can you say that in the same breath then? Because it's time to move on. Oh my God. It's almighty. time to move on. No, no, seriously. And get excited about a new house and a new smaller house and a new in house. That's, yeah, probably. There's more suitable for us. You I don't to have to worry about side. the roof. I don't have to worry about my wonky trees. I don't have to worry about anything. I just, you know, as as my good friend Jane Moore says, a lighter life. So you're going a to a new bed maisonette. Perfect. You're arse. Thank you. Would you like to read an email? <laughs> yeah, would. Is this <laughs> the email go. of the week? Yes. Oh, All right. Oh, well, give it a build up then. This is from Vicky Unsworth. I'm loving the no, fact can that you, you do, don't. And could you incorporate into that email of the week? All right. All right. And time for, no, it's a bit showbizy, isn't it? Email of the week. I must listen to you in future to see what you say. No, that, that, that was too kind of perfunctory. Right. Okay. Shut up. I have listened. This is from Vicky. No, I need the build up. What do you want me to say? Just, you know, in a nice, smooth way. All right. Okay, now um, we're going to go for the email of the week now. This is great. I really love this at this time because we get loads of emails, so please keep sending them in. All right. 
because you know, see me every week, and then we play a little thing. So if you just do that again, you can fuck right <laughs> off. <laughs> Vicky, listen, thanks very much for getting in touch with us. As I say, yeah, shut up. I have listened to every show and told everyone I know to listen to. What an amazing experience I have had. Learned so much and feel like I am well prepared for the aging process. Did I hold Vicky? She didn't say. Uh, you were, hang on, you work so well together, right? She's going to weigh a bit off now. You work so well together and it comes across really well. I was attracted first because I love K on Loose Women and first thought I am probably a bit young, although I think it's great for everyone regardless of age. Oh, thanks, Vicky. That's really sweet of you. I'm going to be spreading the love and hopefully see you live somewhere one day. Oh, well, you can, Vicky, because we're on at the Edinburgh Fringe this year, the 9th, 10th and 11th of August. Get your tickets now. Um, and she says, thanks very much for the laughs. So do get in touch. Keep those emails coming. I've heard you do this bit before. Podcast at hgb60.com. Well done. And we're going to speak to Susie after this. Yeah. Welcome, Susie. Hello. <laughs> Lovely to speak to you. to you. I could just listen to you all day. It's uh... Oh, God forbid. I, oh, yeah. that's nice. I think it's been slightly different this week because I've been allowed to say something. So that's probably why it came across as quite a nice listen. <laughs> <laughs> Though I have to say, I was watching Susie. And when I was talking about downsizing in a smaller house, Susie, it was nodding. Not. I noticed that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I, I've gone through it myself. And I think um, for me anyway, it's been incredibly liberating. And I think it's very easy to get weighed down by a lot of responsibility. And, you know, the bigger the property, the more you have to do, the more it's got to be looked after. I quite like being able just to spare the moment go and fly and go and do something fun and not have to worry about is the lawn going to be mowed or is, you know, that bedroom that needs decorating going to get decorated. I have one bedroom. That's all. And this is the house you moved into when you came back from the States, is it? No, initially when I moved back, I ended up just living in a friend's house while I got myself sorted because I came back with the two suitcases and box of tools that I left when I went to America. And um, so I didn't really have an awful lot. And again, although it sounds really scary, it was really good fun. It was really beautiful. Um, Mum and dad had left me a little bit of furniture and my grandparents' um, arts and craft table and chairs. And that was it. And so everything that I've bought for the house has been secondhand, pre-loved, as and when I see something that I love and I and was useful. I still have a mattress that's on the floor and not on a bed, but that's fine. I only have myself to please. <laughs> it's really rather lovely. So um, there's that, that lovely um, William Morris saying, everything in your house should be beautiful or practical or both. And, and I tend to follow that principle. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how does that contrast with the life you were leading in the States? When did you come back from the States? I moved back in 2017. Um, I would say polar opposites. Of, you know, anyone that's spent any time in the States, bigger is better. And the more you have is, is very much the, the, the way they live the life. Um, my husband was no exception to that. And, you know, when, you, when you're married to somebody and you're living in their 
their country, with their cultural um, ways and society ways, you tend to to follow the lead. And although we didn't have a grand house, we had a very loved house and it was an old original homestead. Um, So it was was very much a little house on the prairie. Well, listen, take us back. Um, What took you to the States in the first place? You were already established as as a saddler at that point when you yeah yeah so so I started um my formal training um to become a saddle maker when I was 16 left school went to Hackney that was a life experience so yes I was then a master saddler and I had an invite to go to the states and wasn't something that I'd really dreamt about doing I was more interested in, in other countries but oh well why not and and I met Linda who had this tap shop in Boulder, Colorado. And Linda is one of those people in life that is so delightful and so much fun. And I just wanted to spend lots of time with her. So, so accepting the offer was very easy, actually. Um, but it was on the understanding I was going to be there for two years. And then I met and fell in love with Rob. We spoke a few weeks ago to Mariella Frostrup, and one of the questions that came up in the little, we do a little thing at the end of the bingo, was the, the most difficult period of your life. And I really loved her answer in that she was saying, it wasn't that there are particular periods that are all bleak, or indeed all sunshine, that that life is more nuanced than that, and that most of the time we've got light and shade and, you know, going on at the same time. Now, you mentioned meeting your, your your husband, Rob, and whirlwind romance and stuff. Would you say that kind of characterises your relationship with him? Sunshine and showers at the same time? Yes, I think um, probably the most extremes of all emotions in any one relationship was mine and Rob's. Yes. <laughs> so you had extreme highs and extreme lows and... You know, it, it, extreme energy with extreme just anger and just frustration. And and it, it was beyond a passionate relationship in all the sense of the word. Um, and I definitely met my match with him and he with me. When you read the book, it sounds... Uh, really very, very traumatic in certain areas. And it, and it was. I mean, there's no getting away from it. But it's one of those weird things that I've worked out that the worse the situation is, when you come out the other side of it, the higher the rewards or the greater the rewards. And um, we were together for 18 years. There was a lot of learning on both sides. And um, with him, he had uh, some, demons, some demons that, you know, he, he came to the relationship with. And, um, you know, when you fall in love with somebody, you, you want what's best for them. You want to try and help them. I think as women, we really think that we can help people. Maybe we can, maybe we can't, but we're, we're keen to always try and do the best to help somebody. I think that's the caring nature that comes with being a woman. Um, and I certainly... You know, that was what I tried to, to do with Rob. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was uh, it was it was very lively um, and, and from the outside, very dysfunctional. But then I get to thinking, well, what, what is the perfect relationship? I don't think there is a perfect relationship. 
And what happens between two people is unique. You're never going to have that combination again. So uh, in reflection of that time that we had together, at the end of, of writing the book, I was so relieved because it was incredibly cathartic getting it all out. But also I realized this is this is actually a really beautiful, although dysfunctional, love story. Were the highs worth the lows? Yeah, weirdly. And I have to be careful saying yes, because I can only talk about my experience because a lot of what I experienced, I would never condone. And, and um, you know, there, there were some really very, very scary moments in, in dealing with somebody who, who literally got off their head and, and forgot or didn't even, he wasn't even conscious of what he was doing and what he was saying, what his actions were. And I was the, on the receiving end of that. And I, I do remember one instant where I was deer in the headlights, literally deer in the headlights. I couldn't even decide what limb to move first or what to do. It, I was just the weirdest feeling, like paralyzed with not just fear, but uncertainty. And I've never been somebody like that because I'm, I'm a very strong individual. I've traveled around the world by myself. You know, I've been always able to cope. And for once in my life, I was stripped of all my coping mechanism. And that, I think, was a very scary moment to realize I had been altered that much by a, by a person that I, I loved and who loved me, but was damaged. Who, who was the person you fell in love with? Incredibly charming, charismatic, uh, very attractive, very well-built, strong, strong mentally. But his charm was like nothing else. He was so charming. And he, and he had very strong views on things. He wasn't wishy-washy. And, and I wouldn't necessarily say I agreed with all of his views, but he came from a different country with a different culture and, and all of that. So, so, you know, it's like with anyone that you meet, you don't have to agree. In fact, you shouldn't agree with everything. I think it's quite healthy to have differences of opinion. Um, he was able to explain to me his, his viewpoints and I his he was very impetuous. And when you when you look at the pattern of uh, what we what we call coercive people, he is textbook. And so I still am trying to figure out whether he was, I mean, how do how do you judge a person's personality? It's really difficult. Um, because I knew the soft underbelly of this fella. He was so hurt by things that had happened in the past and he was scared. And yet he was this hugely strong, mentally strong, physically strong man. I think he struggled internally trying to find a happy place to put, put the trauma in its place where it needed to go. Um, we did talk about going for counselling as a couple. Um, but I think those were in his really desperate moments. And after a, you know, a few days of him saying, actually, we can do this ourselves, you know, he would change his mind and he would change my mind. So it was incredibly complex. It really was. And, and sometimes, you know, looking back at it, I think how on earth 
did I A, find myself in that situation and B, adjust to what I needed to adjust to in order to make the days flow? Um, and this is where I had my foundation of my work and my animals and nature and things. It's I always had that constant outside. I'm an outside girl. If I can go outside and just be in the countryside, I can find peace. For me, that really helped with all of the chaos when we were going through our really dark moments. I mean, you've obviously done an awful lot of reflection, you know, and, and try to sort of make sense of your relationship of, of Rob and your reactions to it. What were you experiencing in the moment? You know, there's a part of me that I think um, I try not to go back to those moments because your body instantly goes into, you know, you start feeling the tingle. I can feel the tingle on my arms now, the hairs are coming out. It, it's a very physical, it's still there. Um, so I, all, I, all I can say is that um, I'm surprised at how strong I am because it didn't break me. I thought it did, but it didn't. And one time when I said to him, I can't do this anymore, you, you've absolutely broken me down. Um, I'm just going to, you know, just put up with it. And he said, I knew I'd break you in the end. And, and that's where, where he got me. Um, and, and then it would be like a week later, he'd be, I, you know, I appreciate you so much. You, you're just like the best friend. I couldn't ask for anything more. And, and and it was genuine and it was like a bipolar personality or you know, schizophrenic. I, I, who knows? He never got any formal um, treatment. So I'm only supposing where his brain was um, in trying to learn the complexity. But at, in the moment, I had found a place. You know, I just found a place of coping. And I think that's what a lot of people do. You find a place to cope. Did you ever consider coming back to the UK? Yes. And in fact, um, I did leave him twice. And one time I'd come back to the UK to, um, my mum had a health issue. So it, it was good timing. And and I said to him, I'm going to go back. I'm going to help mum. I'm going to collect the thoughts. Probably we're done. And uh, while I was here, he'd had a lot of time to reflect. And of course, he, he just won me around. And so I went back and it was very good for a very long time, in fairness. But eventually, it's sort of, you know, in, in, a, in a stressful moment, that blimmin' demon would find its way out again. And, and I always said, you know, over time, I expected him to become more and more calm as time went on. And and maybe I'm innocent in believing that, that people are born good and it's things that happen to them that, that create these, these issues. Because when, when things were good, things were really, really good. And, and, we, and we've, we had this same dream about um, having, having a farm um, on the Eastern Plains and just renovating it, all of which... We, we did, and uh, having the animals, um, and we both were hard workers, and we both enjoyed, eventually we both got Harley Davidson's and sort of riding the open road in America and going up in the mountains and all of these crazy, crazy things that we did. So, so we had a lot in common. Um, we just had this, this, this darkness, um, and I, and I, 
kept it from family and friends. I didn't speak about it to anybody. They, they kind of knew that um, Steve, who's also on the show, he knew that things weren't completely great. Um, this is your brother. Yeah. Um, but as far as going into to detail, it's not fair to do that. I really just took responsibility for the situation I was in. Rightly or wrongly, that's that's just the way I am. Um, but I had Linda, um, who was the lovely lady who introduced me to America. And then um, I formulated a really good friendship with Penny, who I also wrote from, right from the About Them book. So I had some good people around. Um, yeah. And could you offload to them or did you just keep everything to yourself? Uh, to, to a point, um, they both knew Rob and they both, had an inkling that he was a bit of a tricky character. Um, and and there was a, a, an incident where I, I needed to, um, I needed help. I, I'd phoned the police the only time I ever phoned the police in my life. Um, and the response I got from them was, well, ma'am, one of you is going to jail. Who is it going to be? And that is, is a hopeless thing to be told because if they'd come and taken Rob to jail he would have gotten out and uh you know he would have just kicked off a stall Uh, and so um so I did phone Penny and she and her husband came up and husband had a bit of a word so yeah some people were aware but there's a level where you just keep it amongst the two of you and just deal with it. Were you scared of him? I think there were times that I was absolutely scared of him and I had every reason to be scared of him. And that's a horrible thing to say, um, but it's the truth. And then, and then that fear left me. Um, I'm not an angry person, but I had that fire in me that is like, you try it, buddy, you just try it. Um, you know, the, those waves of, of times that I became incredibly strong and then other times that I was incredibly weak, I, I could have been very much on my um, how tired I got. I used to get exhausted. I worked really hard and my resilience was low. And then those other times where that fire in my belly was lit and I just thought, yeah, I wouldn't, buddy, don't even. Which was good, you know, and for, for for not being an angry person, I knew that I had I had a strength within me. So I learned a lot about myself, and and then I also had this premonition about his passing, which was incredibly weird. Um, it came from nowhere. Uh, I didn't know, I didn't know how, um, and I was talking to a new client, um, and she said, "Well, you know." You know, tell me about your family and, and what have you. And I just said, oh, me and my husband. I said, I'm going to tell you something really weird. I just don't think he's going to be here in a year's time. And she went, well, that's a weird thing to say. And I went, oh. I don't know why. I just feel something's going to happen. So I found Penny on the way home and I said, write this date down. And she said, why? And I said, I'll tell you on that day. And it was the date that he began to go in the final stages of dying. What? So wow. that was weird. That was very weird. Um, and and I did I did start to look at him a little bit differently, going, is it going to be on your motorcycle you're going to die? He works in the oil fields, which is very dangerous. And then um, 
And then it was a little while later that he showed me he got this lump in his um in his armpit and I instantly knew it was whatever it was within his limbs and mm. you know everything started to slot into place. So how did that feel? Because you clearly then had a certainty that the end was in sight. Um I felt incredibly sad when we got the news. Yeah, I just felt it's rubbish, you know, for anyone that's ever watched anyone go through terminal a terminal illness. You know, I lost my dad. He lost his dad. I just, it was complete rubbish. Um, but he he just turned to the doc and, and he said, let's do the treatment run. And he said, I'm going to fight it and I'm going to beat it. And I thought, you know, if anyone's going to beat it, it will be him. And my job then, my role was solely whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, that's what he's going to get. I wouldn't have given him anything just so that, you know, the days that he had um, were as good as possible. My focus now came, what does Rob want? If Rob wanted us to go out on the bikes, we went out on the bikes. If if he wanted to go up into the mountains and do something fun, we would do that. It, you know, it just changed things. It, it, he needed my support. And that was definitely my role. Um, and we had some hilarious moments. There, there was a, a dark humour that came into our relationship, which I think only a couple can really share. And it was helpful. It helped both of us. Um, I think it's probably the, um, the proudest thing I've ever had to do for another human being. So, I mean, I presume that must have changed your relationship because... You know, his illness would have given Rob a vulnerability. The power dynamic would have changed from the one that previously existed. Did you feel that shift? Yes, very much so. Although he could still get a bit lively, he he just he knew. It sounds as if you're talking. You know, having known a bit of horsey world in my past, when you say lively, I always think of a great big bloody stallion. It's such a horsey term. <laughs> I think that's it. I think you know, a life a life of horses. And you get those horses that are a bit of a handful and you you cannot break a horse's spirit. You've got to find that way of of developing a relationship where a little bit of understanding from both sides comes in. And I I think that's a really nice way you put put that relationship that I had with Rob very much like that. So uh, sometimes you just got to let them let off steam. It's it's all you've got to do. And, And once that's done, and the calm comes in, now you can regather the reins and get back to the, you know, the lovely gentle trot that you're on and, and get on with it. So, um, but yeah, it did. It shifted the dynamics. And I I think probably what it did for both of us is, is that he realized that I was 100% genuine all of the way. And for, 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 for me, um realizing the strength that I had within to do uh what what I feel was was absolutely the right thing to do for another human being because when you're really just cut down like that you need all the help in the world from people that love you and um he he didn't want anyone else there he just wanted me there he didn't want to go into hospital um he still wanted to control his ill his his illness and how he went through it and I think that was his right he didn't want people seeing him looking like a skeleton. This guy was 
huge, muscular, strong, um, capable. He could lift a car up. I mean, this guy was superhuman strong. And then he was struck down by this dreadful illness. And once it started to take hold, the muscle just started to, to massively deplete off of him. And, and, and he was a vain guy as well. So, you know, it, it was hard to watch him go through this. I never let him feel like I loved him any less. In a way, did it let you end your relationship in love rather than anger? Yeah, I... I I never stopped loving him. I, even even within the scary moments, even when I I thought I needed to leave him, it wasn't because I didn't love him. It's just that, you know it was it was so problematic at times. It's hard to be one hundred percent honest. Yeah, I have had so many moments of um, oh my goodness, what have I done? Because I am a private person, and I try not to upset the other car you know you, you want to keep an even keel all of that and then I thought the beauty of every decade comes this new person with new strengths with new skills and when I turned 60 I found that sort of lioness in me again just was like mm, there she is and, and the opportunity came to write the book, and I and they gave me a long time to think about it. I instantly said no, and then I went, "No, I'm going to, and I'm going to do it my way." And I have, and I'm really pleased that I have. Um, yeah, it's exercised a lot of demons in me, and I found my voice. And how how has it been? You know, coming back to your new old country, old new country. Starting again with your two suitcases, this big new job, new friends. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, I sort of look back at everything and my life has been a series of happy accidents because I came back to the UK. I, I just wanted to be quiet. I, you know, I, had, I didn't have a home. I didn't have a workshop. And um, the repair shop were already asking me to, to join the team before I left the States. And I said, no, I just need to be quiet. I just, I really, I knew I needed to heal. Um, but anyway, five weeks after getting back to the UK, I ended up at the big barn that um, everybody seems to know about now. And uh, again, looking back, that was six years ago. That was all part of the journey I was supposed to follow because it's been massively big part of me healing and sort of assimilating back in the UK was a lot harder than I imagined. So do you miss the States at all or have you closed that chapter in your life? I miss um, I miss friends and I've still got a horse over there and I'll be going hopefully soon to go and see her. Although I get regular updates and thank goodness for video calls and I can see her regularly. She's got a lovely home with Adrian and Adrian's voice so um, she doesn't miss me but I miss her. But America is is just a fascinating country and um, it has so many good points about it. And I think Colorado in a very, it, it's my second home. Um, I'm very fond of the people and, and the people that embraced me and looked after me as well. It was quite the ride for 22 years. And so how would you like to see the future? Well, I've decided I'm going to work until I'm 100. <laughs> I might consider retiring. Um, but then I don't think I'll ever retire because I do what I love. Uh, I've always, you know, the trade that I've followed 
is something that fascinates me and I'm quite good at it, which helps. Um, so I'll, I'll always be working with my hands, provided I have the health to do so. I'm very into looking after my health because I am determined to make it to 100 and still riding. And uh, probably just keeping my eyes and ears open for all the opportunities that have come my way throughout my entire life and just carry on taking up the opportunities. And could you see another relationship? (laughs) I miss the company, uh, but I have really nice male friends. So I'm not sure that it's necessary for me to have another relationship relationship. I think the jury is out on that. We'll see. So shall we play some Big Signal Bingo? Yes. So Susie, looking for a couple of numbers between nothing or one and 60. So give me give me a number. Seven. Seven. Best year of your life. This year. Love it. Uh, because I'm still here and I'm still happy and I'm very content and, and it just seems to get better and better. That's great to hear. It is. Isn't it? That's so lovely. <laughs> No, it's really positive. It's great. Okay, give us another number. Nine. Ooh, right. If you could have had another life. Oh, I've had, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is the life. It is. I mean, that's that's a rubbish answer, but this is the life. I couldn't even imagine anything other because the life has been so full and varied. Could you have been anything else than a master saddler? Could you have, I don't know, been running about with 16 kids? I don't know. Could you imagine yourself in another life? No. The weird thing about um, the career that I took is uh, Ken, the master that who I started with, he said, you must have been a master in another life. It's automatic. It Everything makes sense to me. And Steve actually did our genealogy and it Three generations back, um, we have cordwainers who are shoemakers and bookbinders all working with leather. Um, so I think it was destined in one of us to come out. Uh, this We're all creative in, in the family, but I, I found this beautiful material in creativity with leather um, and my passion of horses combining the two. It doesn't get better than that. It's in the genes. Yep. Well, Susie, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been delightful. I want to come and hang out with a cup of tea with you. Oh, well, hopefully you'll get some of Karen's rhubarb gin and I'll be in better voice. (laughs) No, exactly. She's very good at that, I have to say. (laughs) Rhubarb gin, delicious. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it's very nice, actually, with a wee um, ginger ale. Very nice indeed. (laughs) Goes down a treat. Yeah. Take care, Susie. Thank, Thank you. you so Thanks much. a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. He's hoping her voice will be better for the Edinburgh Festival. I'm not too bothered, to be honest with you, but I like it this way. Anyway, keep the emails coming, podcast at htb60.com. Next week, we're joined by the busiest man in broadcasting, Jeremy Vine.